I think in this collection, I ended up writing from the point of view of a few older women because I think that's an interesting vantage point. Uh, a lot of my friends are older than me. They're in their 50s and 60s and even 70s. And uh, I'm interested in the insights that they cultivate. So I think in some ways, you're able to wield insight as an, <laughs> as funny as this sounds, as an older woman <laughs> um, that you can't as a young man. Welcome to Book Me, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and Arts Nova Scotia. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Today, author Chris Burton. If someone who didn't read fiction asked me why I did, the answer would have something to do with getting insights into the amazing range of human experience. Something to take me away from, I guess, the arrogance of thinking the world is the way I see it. Because essentially, while I'm curious, I lack the imagination to flesh out in any detail the impressions I get of people I might see on the street or at a bar or even people I've known for years. All their life experiences are hidden, no matter how much their, say, clothing or demeanor might signify. In Chris Burton's new collection of short stories, Use Your Imagination... His characters expose us to an eye-popping range of experiences, but also to the tortured struggles they have in reconciling the people they are and the people they want people to think they are. Chris Burton, welcome to Book Me. Nice to meet you. Um, May I read a sentence from one of your stories? Please. If you see a microphone and have the urge to speak into it, you're ours. <laughs> Very good. You understand the relationship. Yes, yes, you of are course. Ours yeah. For the next while. That was more about audience members, of course. <laughs> uh, that comes from uh, The Grand Self, one of the stories uh, narrated by the woman who's managed the career of a self-help guru. Uh, I guess on, on one hand, these gurus seem to come from a, a template, but, but what's interesting in this story is what the narrator is reflecting on after his fall, uh, what she could or should have done to prevent a disaster, whether she bore any responsibility for what happened, uh, how accurate or not others are about her role. Her sense of self seems to be pretty fluid. Yeah. uh, You know, when I wrote this story, um, I think it's pretty easy to write a story from the wrong point of view. And so I did a couple times. I wrote it from Grant, the self-help guru's point of view. And uh, that seemed wrong because that's someone who I think in order to believe in yourself and find some way to control others, you have to delude yourself to some kind of degree. And I felt it was really, really difficult to get his voice down. And then I wrote it from the point of view of one of the customers, one of the people who's on this hike uh, where they took their most well-paying customers on this hike that ends up uh, becoming a pretty terrifying journey. And uh, that too, I encountered the same problem. Uh, but the entire time in both of these, in, in both versions of that story, there was this woman with a clipboard who seemed like the sensible person who was putting it all together and keeping track of everyone. And I was thinking, if someone's actually responsible in this situation, if something goes wrong, it's not the guru, not so much, not, and it's not those people. It's the person who facilitates it, the normal, everyday working person who brings it all together, who's actually culpable. Because if 
the leader is a deluded person who uh, is mentally unstable and his customers are mentally unstable, uh, neither of them are really culpable. It's, it's sort of the middle management, and uh, that's how I got there. And she's the one who has you know, the, the awareness and the insight to see how deluded all these people are. Absolutely. But that's a good thing for business. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's really what I was looking for uh, in a narrator, and that's that's how I found her. You got it. Yeah. You made the right choice. Thank you. But one out of three, it's a lot of writing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, sometimes I spend months and months and months on, on these, and this one was no different. Could you read something from the, the grand self? Sure, I'd love to. That year... 2011 was the year we were among the top five self-help organizations in Canada and cracking the top 20 in the States. Though there are no hard and fast numbers on this stuff, it's all about buzz and feeling. Grant's pseudo-scientific jargon about the planet's evolution and everyone's interconnectivity with one another and the stars was a big part of it. Grant had finally found the right language to make everyone understand. He talked about common ancestors, about family trees, about the cosmos, a glossary of inspiring words that were achieving potency in the zeitgeist. He made claims that were difficult to disagree with because they were so simple. He'd ask, weren't you delivered here by everything that happened before this very moment? And the people at the Marriott conference centers or convention floors or theater auditoriums, they would agree. They had driven or taken taxis and buses to that very place at that very moment. How can you disagree with that? Every now and then we were in the right city, or when the conditions were just perfect, we'd be huge. We would sometimes get the turnout of an Eckhart Tolle or a Tony Robbins, sell out our shows, and have to book more the very next day. We were like an understaffed restaurant, unprepared for a massive influx of customers we didn't know we had. But these were the events that made us, that blew us up, and helped us cross some weird word-of-mouth, peer-to-peer threshold we didn't know existed. Soon we had a West Coast, East Coast, and burgeoning U.S. office in Philadelphia, nearly 300 employees across seven North American cities, from program directors to event leaders all the way down to pamphleteers with rolling racks of literature and three times as many volunteers. A special kind, too, volunteers who would toil endlessly on everything from charity events to membership drives to scrubbing a location before and picking it clean after an appearance with nothing more than a vegetable tray and a bucket of ice stuffed with water bottles is payment. And, of course, the chance to see Grant Basso, founder of Brand New Day, to shake his hand, to look at his straight white teeth, and feel the various energies emanating from him. Maybe his warm hand on the small of your back. Maybe a glimpse of his hotel key card, his fingers careful not to obscure the room number. That happens sometimes. <laughs> and how many times have we seen variations on that character crisscrossing <laughs> North America? <laughs> Uh, more than once, I think. Now, in the story, uh, The Calls, an older adult sister uh, with a family is the only one in contact with a much younger brother. Uh, other family members seem to create their own narrative about him. They're kind of writing him off. But she's the only one in actual contact. She takes his calls on Sundays, uh, almost religiously, because, because it's the right thing to do, and she liked being right. Now, it sounded at first, first time I read that line, it sounded like they flowed together, they were connected. But in fact, the, they, while they might sound related, they're really in conflict, those two things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I feel like the need to be right is not the same thing <laughs> as doing the right thing. And that's really what that story is about. 
Tell us more about, about that story. Uh, I mean, what you're speaking to is ultimately, uh, it's, it's about judgment. Her, her brother ends up being, uh, as strange as it sounds, uh, a male prostitute. So I knew someone who did this job and, uh, it was really fascinating to me that a lot of it was just about companionship. It wasn't about, uh, wasn't about on the part of the clients. Yeah, they, absolutely. They were looking for companionship more yeah. than sex. Yeah, um, that was really fascinating to me. Um, so I was thinking about if you did that job, how would your family react to it? And even the most well-intentioned, uh, loving uh, uh, family member that you have, they still might be compelled to judge you, um, even while they're telling you to open up. So the story really is about uh, how much can you actually open up uh, with a loved one. And how much can that person handle before they get uncomfortable with your revelations, maybe? Exactly. Yeah. So probably all families of a certain size will run into that. Yeah, you only want to know so much. Uh, so even though the one of the right things to do is say, tell me anything, tell me everything, I'm here, I'm listening, uh, in actual fact, there's a lot you do not want to hear. There was something related in the story, a uh, name that may mean spirit, in which the protagonist sees an opportunity uh, to be good to, to a new woman in the neighborhood whom everyone else sees as really dodgy. Uh, and, and you write about the intensity of feeling about seeing that opportunity to be good, that, that it's almost like love. Yeah. Uh, or infatuation. I mean, you didn't use the word infatuation, but you know, this character was seemed to be blinded to things that other people saw as obvious. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm interested in writing about people who uh, sort of drape themselves in good deeds because it's something that we all do. Uh, you know, whenever you do something kind, uh, some part of you is saying, aren't I good? Aren't I a good boy or girl? And you're patting yourself on the back. And that's sort of what I wanted to take a look at here. And uh, as you mentioned, I've, I've been a bartender for uh, over a decade and uh, I deal with antagonistic people and I also help people in need. And I'm in these situations all the time where I need to decide is this actually the right thing that's actually going to help this person? Or am I, am I going to create an entire world of problems for, my, for myself and my customers <laughs> and my friends and coworkers and this person just so I can feel like I'm a good person? And uh, it's those kind of moral dilemmas uh, that I'm interested in. Yeah, we hear about people virtue signaling to other people, but very often, I guess, we're virtue signaling to ourselves in, in, in our I, acts. I think so. Um, that story is about, <laughs> it's funny you say virtue, virtue signaling. I mean, that, that is about my own uh, liberal leanings and how sometimes my intention to help my fellow human being uh, really backfires on me. Um, and that's what happens in that story. You, you often write from the female perspective in this collection of short stories. What, what does that open up for you that maybe you can't necessarily access writing from the male perspective? Well, I, I mean, for, for me, every story requires a different kind of person. And if I just end up envisioning a woman telling the story, that's just how it goes. Uh, I, I think in this collection, I ended up writing from the point of view of a few older women because I think that's an interesting vantage point uh, 
a lot of my friends are older than me. They're in their 50s and 60s and even 70s. And uh, I'm interested in the insights that they cultivate, especially uh, as someone who looks after an entire family, who can look at a five-year-old and say, your, your great-grandpa was just like this. You know, that's fascinating to me. So I think in some ways you're able to wield insight as an, <laughs> as funny as this sounds, as an older woman. <laughs> um <laughs> That you can't as a young man. And I think, too, I my first book had a lot more young male voices. And uh, I wanted to get away from that because I did feel in some ways Chris Burton was a grim and gritty masculinist writer. And there was an article about that. And I, and I thought, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> That's not me at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you you were trying to avoid having uh, someone else create this narrative about you and who you were, or you were getting dangerously close to creating that narrative for other people. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just, um, I don't want anyone to think that uh, who I am uh, has anything to do with what I write. <laughs> now, the first story in the collection is uh, about a last chance of sorts for two men. Uh, to deal with the fact that one is near death. And it seems that the the inability to embrace when the healthy one leaves the house is really quite poignant. T tell us about those characters and what you were trying to touch on there. Uh, I do think that there is um, sometimes a force field that can exist between men, especially men of a certain age, of a certain generation, where... Uh, one of the things that you really need, especially in friendship, if you're saying farewell to someone who's sick, like in that story, uh, it's about two stand-up comedians. Well, one actually is a radio personality and the other one's a stand-up comedian, but they both started together. Uh, the comedian who became uh, very successful, he has uh, cancer and uh, he's pro it's probably the last time he's going to see his friend. And uh, there is something there about what we should be doing uh, to comfort other people. And uh, the only thing that our, uh, that our narrator can think of um, is really to make them laugh. So the entire thing is just about jokes and being funny, but at a human level, they do need to embrace. They do need to actually cry, but they won't allow themselves to do that because there's this facade. But I also think that it's not entirely negative as well because they are attempting to bring joy to each other. Um, I had a friend who had cancer and I, I went through something really similar where people would go see him and, and uh, talk about how sad they were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it made me crazy. So when <laughs> I went there, uh, everything that I did was trying to make him laugh. Um, that's, that's really the heart of this story. And, and, and the humor is about as dark as you can get. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's important. Um, you don't want people tiptoeing around you and worrying uh, about uh, what you what you might think or feel uh, just because you're sick. I mean, especially if that's what your your sense of humor yeah. used to be. Why yeah. would it have changed? Well, like when Frank asks, Luke, is there anything I can get you? He says, yeah, some pancreas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> What is there about the short story form that, that you like, especially, that clicks with you? Um, I like that it's challenging. It's it's very hard to write one. Um, that should be a reason why I don't like it. Uh, but I, I appreciate the fact that it takes 
some time, months and months and months to work on this thing. Um, and I also, I also think me personally, when I write these stories, I'm trying to answer a question that I'm asking myself. So, you know, all those things that we talked about already, uh, you know, how, how am I a good person? What parts of me are authentically me? What am I presenting before others? Those are all questions that I'm asking myself on a daily basis. So I feel like short fiction lets me answer one of those questions. Actually, I don't get to answer it. I just get to ask the question and see see where it, it takes us uh, because I, I don't think I do have answers. Um, but in a lot of ways, short stories lets me examine different parts of the world uh, and in delineated separate stories. Um, and that's important to me. And what's what's interesting to me is I have stories that no one will ever see. Uh, but when I look at them, I can I can say that's when I was trying to work through this and I didn't get it yet. And maybe I got it eight, 10, 12 stories later, you know? And you might return to some of those stories? Yeah. I, th I think if something is too old and too old is, you know, more than a, more than a year. I don't really? know. You got to say goodbye to it. Uh, the, this collection of short stories, the, the stories are, are longer than the ones in the previous collection, uh, which was entitled Bad Things Happen. Uh, does that indicate uh, that you might be moving towards longer form fiction? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, for, for me, when I started writing, uh, it was just a challenge to myself. I wanted to know if I could do it. I'm always, I've, I had always written, but I wanted to know if I could get published. So I started out in literary journals where often there's a word count that says this cannot be longer than 4,000 words. And you think 4,000 words, how is that even possible when you're starting out? And uh, I, I trained myself to be able to do that. And I got published in 10, 15, 20 different magazines and journals over the course of years and years and years. Uh, but that entire time, I don't get to write what I really want to write. Uh, if, if a story is going in a good direction and I, I know I only have 500 more words to finish this and then I get to get out, uh, I'm, I wasn't able to pursue that. So in making these stories, uh, I just got to do that because I decided I don't care about magazines or journals right now. These are stories that I have wanted to tell that I really like, uh, that I worked on for a number of number of years and really kept coming back to them in my mind and, and thinking about them. So I, uh, I said, let's, let's do it. And, and I also feel like in shorter stories as well, uh, there's passages that get excised that are still in my mind, that I still understand as subtext, that this is something that the characters went through. Um, and uh, that part of the story still exists for me. But uh, in this in this collection, I didn't have to do that as much. Which so, was, so I guess even that characterization, 4,000 words, how is that even possible, takes on a completely different meaning, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I need 20,000. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing's quite that long, but uh, <laughs> but they are longer for sure. Well, Chris, thank you very much for joining us on Book Me. Thank you so much. Chris Burton is the author of the short story collection, Use Your Imagination. His previous collection, Bad Things Happen, won the 2016 Writers Trust of Canada's Danuta Gleed Award, as well as the Relit Award. 
To hear past episodes of our podcast, go to bookmepodcast.ca or just pop book me with an exclamation mark in your search engine. If you'd like to rate and or review our podcast, you can do that on iTunes. Book Me is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and Arts Nova Scotia. Thanks to the Halifax Central Library for the use of its studio. Our producer is Robin Grant, and Lynn Fox doesn't need to be told to use her imagination. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Now, let's go read. Thank you.